Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Whether it's you're running, you're cycling, you're swimming, or even in the gym, if you're going too hard every single session, then in the short term, you're impeding on subsequent sessions later in that week because you've gone too hard. So your body is a little bit fatigued. It's still in recovery mode. And then that will impede on your other sessions of the week. Isn't it funny how different music sort of adds a different tone to the recording? Okay, that's better. G'day gang, I'm your host Bram Connolly and this then is my podcast. This week on the Warrior You podcast I talk to Trang Nguyen, the motion mechanic. We discuss physiotherapy, which is Trang's specialisation, and how it directly relates to human optimization and performance. But first, some housekeeping, and I feel like this housekeeping could have a whole show of its own actually. There's the Echelon Front Muster to mention that's coming up in December 4th and 5th in Sydney. There's the Live Warrior You podcast the day after the muster on the 6th of December, also in Sydney. Tickets are $50 throughout September and available at www.events.warrioru.com.au. Let me introduce you to my newest sponsor, Get Some. When I was in the army, and I mean back in my late teens and 20s, it seemed like I was forever on courses, learning new skills and trying to retain information. Then there was the physical training and the recovery. Easy enough when you're young, but that started to get a lot harder over the years, I have to admit. Well, I'd like to announce a new sponsor this week, a sponsor who I feel a lot of the younger soldiers and the old and bolds now can all get some benefit from. Get some. That's the company's name. They're the Australian distributor of the Origin Labs Jocko Willink line of supplements. Check out their website to learn more about the product line of nutrition, workout and maintenance subs. www.getsum.com.au Get some all one word, so www.getsum.com.au My personal favourite is the Jocko Discipline. It's a cognitive type nootropic and is great for when you have to focus yourself with low stimulants. If you drink as much coffee as I do, you probably don't want any sort of cognitive nootropic that's full of stimulants and coffee. I wish I'd had this when doing subject courses in the army. You know, days spent learning tactics, writing orders, getting up, delivering plans, that sort of thing. I think this supplement would have been a force multiplier in those sort of circumstances. So um, check that out. Big thanks also to Aussie Strength, as always. Andy and the team are having a clearance sale on October 10th and 11th this year. They have over $2 million worth of strength equipment for sale and all reduced to clear. There's savings of up to 60% on some items. So go and check out the website for amazing deals. Reach out direct to them. Tell them I sent you for a further reduction on the listed items. www.aussiestrength.com.au 
And of course, Ironside Coffee. Most of you know I do love a coffee and my go-to morning brew is Ironside Coffee. Check out their website, www.ironsidecoffeeco.com.au and you'll see there are so much more to them than just coffee. They have tea, hot chocolate, merchandise including t-shirts, flags, caps. Go check them out after the podcast. They'll also be at the Echelon Front Muster and at the Warrior U live podcast in December. All right. Before we get into the show, I want to do a shout out to all of the staff cadets at the Australian Defence Force Academy. I have some great podcast content coming up in the next few weeks, which I think you will all get a lot out of, um, particularly around the leadership subject. So stand by for that. And if you guys and girls want me to come and talk at ADFA about leadership, request me through the chain of command. Um, You know the drill. The Warrior U podcast has now reached 150,000 downloads in only its first year and has 273 five-star reviews. This week's review is from... Nath 101%. Awesome podcast. Bram does an exceptional job of extracting information and stories from a vast array of knowledgeable guests. Makes for a motivating start to my day and gets me thinking of ways to optimize performance. Thanks, mate. You're now in the draw for the Echelon Front Muster ticket worth over two and a half thousand dollars. Righto. Let's then get into the show. Tran Nguyen. Yes. The motion mechanic. Yep. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you on because, you know, the Warrior You podcast about leadership and resilience and human optimization. And this certainly, our conversation will certainly sit right inside that human optimization part. Um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I have a fairly casual background in strength and conditioning and CrossFit and you know, endurance uh, races, which, you know, I can nerd out on all day. So it's a be good. Well, we might be here for the rest of today, really. <laughs> so you have a, a master's in physiotherapy? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And Cert 3, Cert 4 in strength conditioning coaching as well? Um, So yeah, so it's a cert three and four in fitness, which is the most basic um, TAFE course that you can do to actually be qualified to do personal training. And then after that, I've gone on to do ACA, so Australian Strength and Conditioning Association courses as well to actually work more with athletes. Yeah. Awesome. So you're Mm. reasonably qualified in this area. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) And how long was physio? And that was, was it what uni was that? Was that Latrobe? Yeah, so I did the course at La Trobe University in Melbourne, so the Bandura campus, and it's a four-year course. So technically I actually have like two qualifications from that course. I have like the Bachelor of Health Sciences, which is like the first two years, and then you go on to the Masters of Physio. Okay, coolio. And what was the best thing about studying physio? Oh, so much. So I think a thing about physio that not a lot of people know about is it's not just the sports side of things. And that's the part that a lot of people see, but within the course, what we actually study is much more broad than that. So we do a lot of hospital based work and study. So dealing with patients who've just had surgery, dealing with cardiac, um, cardiac patients, dealing with neuro patients and doing physio and helping them with their mobility and their physical health in that setting. So that's a setting that um, I didn't know about when I first got into physio. And that's probably a setting that not many people know that physio is working, but yeah, most of our placements are in hospitals. And then if you want to do the sports side, then that's actually probably 
the smaller part of the physio world actually. Yeah, right. And are our bodies yeah. are our bodies amazing or what? Oh, completely. Yeah. It's like why I've dedicated my whole life to studying it and learning more about it. What's the most incredible thing you think about our, our bodies when it comes to like physio and, and the things that you've studied? What's the thing that, that stands out the most to you? I think one of the best things is how adaptable our bodies are. So we all are born with some sort of genetic base and that may be due to our parents and how fit and how sporty they were, but with the right type and amount of training, our bodies can come a long way. So if we're talking about purely performance to start off with, you've seen what, you know, marathoners and the pro triathletes can do out there. So the human body can do a lot. We can um, run fast, run for long periods of time, swim, cycle for just extremely long periods of time. And that's going from a society which is mostly sedentary, right? So being able to train and achieve that level of performance is like incredible. But even from an injury side of things, so a lot of people get injured with, especially in endurance sports. So overuse injuries is one of the most common forms of injury. And then overcoming that and actually being able to go back to elite levels of sport or, um, yeah, the marathon Ironman standard of training is pretty cool. Yeah. So that adaptability and there's a theme that I I like to uh, quite often use throughout my podcast and it's, it's, it's a leadership theme, it's a resilience theme, it's a human optimization theme, and it's all about consistency in any one of those areas. If you want to be good in any one of those areas, then you need that consistency. And yep. it's one of those things that, that I've found from personal experience with um, physical training and adaptation is, anyway, we can get on to small consistent efforts later because I know that you'd be a fan of that too. But yeah, so talk to me about motion mechanic and the work that you're doing in that. Yeah. So the motion mechanic is the coaching platform that I run. So for the listeners who may not already know, I am a strength and conditioning coach and physiotherapist. So I work mostly with endurance athletes, coaching them in the gym, doing strength and conditioning training to complement the endurance side of things. So we all know that, you know, in order to be a faster runner, in order to be a better swimmer, um, cyclist, you got to do more of the actual sport itself. But then there does come a point where you may run into a ceiling, whether it's a plateau from a performance standpoint or um, you come across an overuse injury. So strength and conditioning is there's training that isolates different components of fitness to allow you to overcome those injuries or those plateaus to actually continue surpassing that level of, yeah, that standard of performance or that standard of training. So with the motion mechanic, what I do is I do coaching for mostly endurance athletes. I do also have, um, I guess, what you might call the general population clients as well. So people who just want to get a bit of a bit of strength, a bit of fitness, but mostly with endurance athletes and so mostly runners, a few triathletes as well, do strength and conditioning training with them to help them perform better out when they're racing. So that's that's pretty much the motion mechanic. I also have um, a podcast, The Athlete's Garage, and I write blogs as well. So all of those things to continue to educate um, people out there because there's so much information on the internet and the best thing that 
I want to be able to do for everyone is actually have, you know, the evidence-based content so that endurance athletes know where to go and actually get started on their own if they're wanting to take themselves on that journey as well. Yeah, right. So specificity in one sport is is yes. a key is a key to being really good at that one sport, but there's uh-huh. by using strength training you can increase your ability in that sport also so like if i wanted to be a great cyclist or, or you know the tour de france cyclists that we see racing around at the moment while, while we're talking you know they are doing a lot of cycling but they're also doing things to strengthen certain parts in the gym aren't they so they're doing you know, hip flexor training they're doing one legged you know pistol squats and step ups yeah. onto boxes and mm-hmm. things like that yeah i guess the reason I, the reason I understand that is I, I started to do when I started to do triathlon. I thought before I get into the triathlon series, I'll I'll do some duathlons, which is you know generally a run, a ride, and then a run. And one of these races that I was in, I was watching my glide path. I was getting better and better on each race. And one of these races that I went in was um, there was a, a Moroccan Olympic runner in there. No, he was a ten thousand meter runner, but he was he had come to Dubai for the Russell Kamer half marathon i think which i think he won yeah and um anyway the run was five kilometers and then a 20 kilometer ride and then a five kilometer run and Mm -hmm. we started this race and we took off and it was the first time i've ever and i'm a reasonable runner and i was a really good runner in school but i'm a reasonable runner now and i i was i tucked in behind him and i was looking at my watch at the first kilometer and we'd gone through the first k in three minutes 40 which is not maintainable for me at all and okay. he, and he was it was the most amazing thing running behind someone like that i've never been in the quality uh, in a field of quality like that and and he was just gliding at that pace and his breathing was doing nothing and i you've got to imagine i was hanging on for dear life and at some point <laughs> it probably in the next couple of hundred meters i sort of let him go and then i think i finished that that first five he was gone he was on the bike I'd finished that 5K in probably 21 minutes or something like that, which is reasonable, I guess, for my age and the fact that there's another 5K to come. Anyway, we got on the bike and I caught him within the first three or four kilometres and he looked like an eight-year-old kid trying to learn to ride. Right. So that fitness, that amazing fitness was not transferable to the bike in any way because he didn't understand how to ride a bike or how to put the power down. It just – it was – and I remember being amazed at that. He honestly looked like a little kid trying to learn to ride a bike and put all that fitness down. Yeah. And so I beat him in that in that biathlon, biathlon, duathlon. And <laughs> if I had, I mean, biathlon, I would have absolutely beaten him. But anyway, <laughs> but when it came to the 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 Russell Kamer, I think it was the half. It might have even been the full. I know for a fact that he he won by a long way. When I was talking to people later, he's he was such a good runner. Yeah, I suppose it's that specificity, isn't it, that is made him so good at that one area, but he hadn't done a crossover type training into another area. Yeah, it's it's a huge area to talk about. So specificity, it's it's the, all the different components of fitness that make up that particular sport. So even if I use AFL as an example for a second, because in Australia that's 
one of the biggest sports that people watch and it's one of the sports that um, everyone seems to kind of understand. There's the components of kicking the ball, there's the components of marking a ball, components of tackling someone and then those are the skills of footy and then there's also the the fitness side of things so actually being able to have the fitness to sprint continuously so sprint for short bursts but repetitively and then for maybe midfielders or along the wing they may be running up and down continuously a little bit more so there's so many different parts and you can't just focus on one and not the other so for a footy player you can't just focus on the fitness itself and then expect to be an amazing footy player because that means any runner could play footy, but we can't because we don't have those ball skills as much. So if we bring it back into like triathlons and yes, a hundred percent the fitness itself. So the cardiovascular fitness or the adaptations in your heart, in your lungs, in your blood, in your muscles will allow you to have a higher VO2 max or higher lactate threshold. So you can last longer um, while running or cycling or swimming faster. But then there's also, yeah, very much the skill component for cycling and swimming mostly because those two may not come as naturally to us humans. We, we actually have to learn how to do it, especially cycling. Like, you know, unless you learn how to ride as a kid, learning to ride as an adult is really hard. And that's what a lot of triathletes go into the sport doing. They might not necessarily have had a background in cycling or in swimming. Running's the same. It is a skill as well. I mean, we could all just chuck on runners and go for a run, but there is technique to it as well. So there's almost the two separate components there's like the fitness side the skill of it and then the strength and conditioning kind of supports you know a bit of all of it so the strength and conditioning can help with the fitness a little bit but it's more for the actual um, base of your physical body so your musculoskeletal system so your bones your muscles how strong they are to actually carry you through the race so yeah specificity i would say is one of the most important components of a training program so if someone wants to run faster if someone wants to cycle faster if someone wants to swim faster and they're playing golf expecting that that's going to transfer over it's not going to you've actually got to do the right sport first of all but also within a training program so many components you got to do the right fitness systems the right muscle groups the right types of contractions the right type of range of motion even in your joints to actually transfer over to the sport so yeah like you mentioned before Graham cycling you'll you spend a lot of time in a seated position with your hips flexed so you want to make sure you you're able to produce power and force in your quads in that flexed position um, versus when you're running you're actually a little bit more upright everything's a bit more extended so actually training your muscles and joints to produce force in different positions as well so all of those things fall under the umbrella of specificity yeah and jesus so much to unpack in that um i know <laughs> i mean we're going to talk about lots of other stuff not just triathlon but that try and you're so Victorian. Why wouldn't you bring out uh, an AFL <laughs> <laughs> analogy? Yeah, you can tell I'm from Melbourne, can't you? No, it does make perfect sense to me. Swimming is an interesting one because most people aren't technically very good at swimming, and they have to learn the mm-hmm. technique first, and then and then slowly the fitness comes, and then the the fitter you are, obviously, the better you will be at swimming once you've got the technique yes. down. What's interesting yep. is when the fitness goes, so does the technique with swimming. You can't have one without the other necessarily 
you can be technically really good, but at some point your fitness will will mean that the technique starts to suffer, which means that you're no longer efficient in any way. And Definitely. I, I, yeah, I saw that myself, you know, coming out of the water with the pros on one race because I was, you know, technically competent and fit. And then in another race coming almost dead last years later because, you know, I try to go in and just, just go with technique. But to do that, I had to go slowly and my fitness couldn't carry me through it. It's such a bloody difficult sport to be fair but it, <laughs> but it does translate the fitness from swimming translates to in my mind the fitness from swimming translates more to swimming sorry to running and riding than running and riding transfer to each other there's something about the you know being very very fit at swimming transfers across for a triathlete to to running and and riding as well as a lot of a lot of triathlete coaches use the riding the long slow distance rides to build big solid bases as well, um, which I think is, mm-hmm. you know, is a smart thing to do because it's less impactful than, than long runs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think everyone has their own approach to doing things as well. You, you could get two triathlete coaches, you get two strength and conditioning coaches, two AFL coaches, and they'll have different approaches and different belief systems about things. But yeah, the th- at the end of the day, one of the other principles of training is also individuality. So different individuals, different athletes actually respond better to different forms of training or different types of training, even between genders, females and males. There is scientific research out there to show that there's different ways that um, different rates of recovery between the two genders. So you can have different approaches to things and that's okay because at the end of the day, not, not all athletes fit in one under one um, umbrella anyway. Yeah. I've heard you say before, and I don't know, looking through some of your stuff that you post about how you don't, not every session has to be a PB or not every session has to be, you know, down and dirty hard and, you know, you know, the hardest session you've ever done and that you can do slow yeah. these. And, and I'm, I'm a, I never used to believe that because in the army, it's like thrash, thrash, thrash. Let's get up in the morning and go for a thrash oh, yeah. run. In fact, we're the, we're the highest performing alcoholics, you know. Cause, oh, really? Oh, yeah, because you go out <laughs> on a Thursday night and get an absolute skinful, come in at 6 o'clock in the morning and have a shower and get shaved, and then at 6.30, 7 o'clock you're running up, you know, Trig Point or Castle Hill at speed, you know, and you do that for <laughs> That's three. That's crazy. You do, do that for three or four years. But high-performing alcoholics, I'm sure. It wasn't until years later that I realised that slow – if you've got the right training – program you can do slow training sessions for running you know and then every now and every every couple of days or whatever you might do a high intensity interval training and then you might do a long slow distance well below your pace you know running pace yeah race pace Mm. but all Mm -hmm. those slow sessions are having a um they're building aren't they they're building up to being faster yeah so If we talk about cardiovascular fitness for a second and with the different goals in endurance sport, depending on what race you're after, that will affect it. So if you're doing a sprint triathlon versus an Ironman, what your goal is will affect your training. But for the longer distance ones, the reason why not going too hard every single session is important is because each session will target a different fitness system. So when you're doing your slow long runs, and you may already be aware of this, when you're doing your slow long runs or your slow um, long cycling sessions, 
then, and you're swimming as well, then you're working on your aerobic, aerobic capacity. So your aerobic capacity is your body's ability to intake, transport, and utilize oxygen. So that's, you know, your heart beating, your blood going through your veins and arteries and your muscle taking in the oxygen to actually be able to continuously provide oxygen to be converted to energy to be used. So using oxygen is the most efficient system because it is the system that lasts the longest. So if you want to be out there for a 12 hour Ironman or even, um, you know, four hour marathon, even a half marathon for that might be more like two hours, you want to be able to use your aerobic system efficiently. So you want to be able to use oxygen. As soon as you're going above that aerobic system and going too fast in your training runs, then you're no longer using oxygen fully to adapt to actually get fitter by through using oxygen. If you're going too fast, then you end up increasing the lactic acid buildup and then you're moving more into the anaerobic um, system. So then your body turns its focus to actually using oxygen to then... Glycogen. Glycogen for fuel. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah and then also to like buffer and get rid of the, the lactic acid, right? So then you're not actually adapting aerobically. You're not actually getting fitter. You're not increasing your VO2 max to actually be able to run faster for longer. So that's why there are sessions where it's like you've got to go slow because that there is a purpose to that and that's achieving your aerobic capacity versus your interval sessions, your speed sessions. That's to increase your lactate threshold so that you can maintain a high speed for a little bit longer. Before you start but using the lact- lactate as, as fuel. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing about doing the, you know, long, slow distance and, you know, using oxygen, as you say, as a fuel source, you know, burning carbs and the like, is that you are building strength, right? So, so you, you even though even though you're not going all out and using lactate fuel and going going through and you know and there's different people have different you know densities of mitochondria and red blood cells and so that's that 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 is how you can build that speed up and you can as you say you can make a resistance to where that lactate comes in where that lactate fuel comes in but the long slow distance means that you're actually doing what you you know what you train people to do which is to be stronger as a runner anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which has a carry-on effect for those faster efforts later on. Yeah. We're talking, yeah, we're sure. starting to get into some pretty technical realms where there's people we are. a bit smarter than you and I that, that know what, you know, what that area sort of is. I, I guess it's one of those things where I, I just loved the, the way that you talked about, you know, you can do these slower incremental sessions and they, and they amount to something, you know, you don't, the, the training program doesn't have to be every day getting up, thrashing yourself. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all in this, or hopefully we're all in this for the long game. Um, You want to be able to still be fit and physically capable of training and competing 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, hopefully. Whether it's you're running, you're cycling, you're swimming, or even in the gym, if you're going too hard every single session, then in the short term, you're impeding on subsequent sessions later in that week because you've gone too hard. So your body is a little bit fatigued. It's still in recovery mode. And then that will 
impede on your other sessions of the week. So in the short term, it's not going to be great for your adaptations and for your progress anyway, because you're not actually able to hit your other sessions at hundred percent or what you're meant to do. And in the long term, if you're going too hard too often, then you may be overworking certain structures, whether it's the muscles, the tendons, ligaments, joints, bones. And over time, naturally what happens is there is you know, changes in the body, but you can accelerate those changes and then maybe prevents your ability to continue doing that decades down the track. So you want to keep in mind both the performance aspects, the injury aspects, but also your longevity and your health in the long term as well. So strength and conditioning, do you have to be sore to have benefit? Do you have to get DOMS, as they say, to be growing? Short answer, no. You don't um, need to be getting DOMS to actually be having a good session. And the reason for that is because it ties into what we were just speaking about before. If you are progressively increasing your weights or progressively increasing your reps and sets and your workload over time, then one, that's going to allow you to get the best adaptations to actually get stronger. But two, you won't necessarily be getting sore because you're not really shocking your body that much. So DOMS, which is like delayed onset of muscle soreness, that happens mostly when there is unaccustomed activity. So activity that your body's not used to. So say if you go on a four-week holiday and come back to what you were doing four weeks ago, you'll probably get sore. If you usually only do maybe 40 kilo squats and suddenly you go to 60 kilo squats the next week, then yes, you're probably going to be sore as well. But when you do things correctly and when you follow a program that's progressive, then the changes week to week will be small and you you shouldn't actually be getting that sore. The other thing as well is that working with endurance athletes, strength and conditioning is to complement their training and their performance as an endurance athlete. It's not their primary focus. So the last thing I would want as a coach is actually having athletes pull up sore from their gym sessions and then impeding on their other endurance sessions. It's all to complement it and it's, it's secondary. When I was in my 20s, I was told by an expert in my gym who could lift a bit more than me, so that made him an expert, that delayed onset muscle soreness is from micro tears in your muscle and then the muscle has to rebuild those tears and that's how you get bigger. And, of course, I believe that shit, Um, (laughs) as you do, (laughs) as you do. But there is no real – Yeah, of course, when you're young yeah, and you don't know what what really is happening. But there is no real understanding, is there, of truly – other than the fact that you're sore because you're not used to it, the the, the the whole DOMS thing, why you're sore in that way, that there's no real, other than perhaps something to do at the cellular level, but um, certainly isn't anything tearing or ripping. Or Can you imagine having a ripped muscle? Bloody yeah. You'd be at the physio every every day if, you, had a, if yeah. you were getting torn muscles from every gym session. Yeah, you know, you're right. There's actually no they actually don't know exactly what causes DOMS. Um, it's it's kind of a general understanding that, yeah, unaccustomed activity, eccentric contractions anecdotally huh. seem to cause more soreness. So eccentric meaning when you're lifting a load while the muscle is lengthening. So things like Romanian deadlifts, like Nordic curls of the hamstrings are quite notorious for causing a bit of soreness afterwards because when you're lengthening the muscle, there might be more stress going through the tissue. So yeah, like the down arm, phase arm, of a bicep the curl. The down phase of the bicep curl, right. Yeah, I was trying to work that out. Yeah. Because 21s yeah. do, do bring that on for me when you do 21s. Oh, yeah. yeah. 21s are killer. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. And I think it's something to do with this the set construct of 21s too because seven at the bottom, seven at the top, and then seven full. Yeah, it's probably mm. you're right. It's probably an overload as you're lowering it. I mean, I can yeah. give, I can give myself doms any day of the week if I want to. Anyone can. It's just about <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where. So, would you? Do you think? And again, I guess it's specific to what you, the athlete is trying to get out of the training session. But for me, for optimization of who I am and the sort of things that I do, I like to do powerlifting. I like to lift. I like to lift heavy. It's good for me physically. It's good for me mentally. Mm-hmm. But I, I see a lot of um, athletes who who are doing, you know, aesthetic work more than anything. And the aesthetic stuff, though, is transferable to other athletic performance too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to training, you'd want to have a primary objective of what you're training for because then that would determine what type of training you do. So for some, it may be purely aesthetics like bodybuilders. They're actually simply training to build and shape their muscles in a certain way and then to get leaner by burning more fat. Then there's the performance side. So, you know, whether you want to run faster, you want to run longer and actually be better at that. And then the last category is generally training for Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. General health and fitness, like the general population may do. Oh, I've forgotten what your question is now because I've like gone on a bit of a um, tangent about training for objectives. What was the question again? I don't Graham? think I really had a question. I think I was more just making a comment. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I see oh, yeah. all these different people training in different ways. I mean, I like to be reasonably, you know, healthy. I like to do CrossFit. I like to do endurance races because I like them, I, but I can't, mm. and I like powerlifting, but I can't train yes. to do all those things. I need to find something that's sort of a happy medium, you know. Yeah, yeah. With those with those objectives, some of them are mutually exclusive. Some of them may have a bit of overlap. But if you want to be a power, the most obvious example is probably if you want to be an elite powerlifter, an elite endurance athlete, then they will often clash. I'm not saying that you can't do bits and pieces of both. Like I like personally like to lift heavy as well, but also like to run for long periods of time. So you can do a bit of both. And if you do it correctly, then it won't interfere with each other too much. It's just more if you, yeah, if if you want to be elite at both, then it's going to be pretty difficult too. What's, um, you know, when you do, when you're doing like triathlon training or running training for a marathon or something like that, there's a certain amount of workload that you can absorb on any given day, depending on how fit you are. Is there ways that you work out how much workload and for strength and conditioning too, I would assume, is there ways where you can work out how much someone can absorb on a day and then slowly increase that? Or do you, is it just go by feel? Yeah. There's a few equations out there that you can use to calculate workload. So the one that's probably most commonly used at the moment is workload equals um, RPE times duration. 
So I don't know if you've heard of that one before. So RPE is the scale of zero to 10 of how hard or intense a session feels. And then duration is like the minutes of that activity. So if you um, work out your RPE times duration of an activity, so for example, a 60-minute easy um, run. Is that rate of perceived exertion? Yeah, yeah, so RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion. Okay. Um, and if you just Google it, if you type in rate of perceived exertion, you'll you'll see these scales of zero to 10. I think some of them are zero to 20 of, yeah, how you can subjectively rate how hard a session is. God, mine would be so, always 20. I'd be a lot. I'm so lazy. <laughs> I'm so lazy. I want you to walk five kilometers, Bram. Yes, 19. Like, <laughs> I'd be so terrible. Yeah. And then now you can use that to actually figure out your weekly workload because what you can do is, for example, on Monday you did a 60-minute easy run. So that would be 60 minutes. So 60 times maybe easy is like 4 out of 10. So 60 times 4 equals 240. And then maybe on Tuesday you do a really hard swim for 60 minutes. So that might be 60 times 8. And this is testing my mass now, so 480. And then you just add up your total number throughout the week and you get this weekly workload. That's one number though. Um, the other part of the equation that you need to take into consideration is the training history of that individual. So someone who's doing couch to 5K will have a lower capacity for workload than an Olympic athlete who has trained their whole life and has done like 10, 15 hour weeks of training their whole life. So probably the first thing you want to take into consideration is where they're currently at relative to the last you know, few months or last year of training. And you want, you want to take into consideration their entire training history, but mostly look in the recent history and then you can build up from there using that workload equation. Listeners may have heard of the general rule, you know, increase your workload by no more than 10% every week. And that's, you know, a bit of a guideline that you can use. Uh, Generally, you can increase it a little bit less than 10, maybe a little bit more than 10 on a weekly basis, depending on your history. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. But then what you also want to have is like deload week. So if you've increased your workload by 20, 30% even, then you want to match that with a bit of a deload by decreasing your workload by approximately the same. So a, a common setup that I use for my athletes in their gym training is I do four-week blocks. So four-week mesocycles is what I'll call them. And then within four weeks, I'll increase by maybe 10% each week, maybe 15%, depending on where they're at, what their goals are. And then on the first week of every mesocycle, so every four weeks, we'll do a bit of a deload, um, whether it's a deload through volume, so how much they're doing, how frequently they're training, or an intensity deload, so training the same amount but at a less intense um, way, so less weight on the bar or you know less slower runs, then that allows them to actually recover adapt and then continue pushing forward. So it's kind of like they're going forwards four steps, maybe down one step, and it's kind of like a staggered upwards trend versus a complete linear upwards trend, which is what a lot of beginners may do who might not know any difference. Um, And then that can cause them to hit a ceiling, hit a wall, and maybe run into injury. Yeah, and I've seen that graphically represented in training peaks where for all the listeners who, who might be endurance athletes, um, runners, cyclists, swimmers, you can use training peaks and, and it has that it has all of those algorithms in the background and, and it takes into account uh, how far you've run, at what pace, what your heart rate was 
and it provides a score to each one of those that you do and then, and then it shows on a graph you know your fitness basically going up your and yeah it uses tss um you know that stress training score yeah <laughs> which is quite good and I, th- I think it's been yeah i think it's it's a, it's a well done tool i'm not sure that anything exists for strength training or you know crossfit certainly the person that comes up with that for crossfit is going to be a genius and make a lot of money <laughs> Yeah, good point. Maybe someone should get onto that now. Yeah. Do you track your sleep at all? I do. So, I mean, I do it via my Garmin, like everyone I think who has a Garmin would. So it's it's probably – I listened to one of your previous episodes on sleep and I think it can be difficult to accurately track it, but with my Garmin on my wrist, I can't just have an idea of how much sleep I'm getting yeah. each night. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to a mate of mine over in Tiger Mutai which is uh, Sean Cobra, Cobra's his nickname, and we were talking about, you know, tracking sleep and that sort of stuff, and he, he's just like, oh, he sleeps when he's tired. But interestingly, <laughs> he carries one of the Garmin, one of the little Garmin's that measures steps, and he adjusts his nutrition and his food based on the steps that he has during the day, which I thought is quite smart because here I am on my fitness power trying to track everything and then, you know, find out that a box of pizza shapes is more than one serving. You know, and, he, and here he is. Oh, damn it. Who knew? Who knew? Ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then here he is, like, wearing this thing around going, oh, okay, well, I can't have five beers and all this, you know, pasta tonight because I've only done, you know, 12,000 steps instead of 28,000, which I think is pr- pretty interesting. But, yeah, there's a, there's a correlation with performance and, and definitely sleep and obviously nutrition as well. Nutrition is probably the foundation of all things performance in my mind. But, um, yeah, anyway, just waffling. Yeah, no, I would agree. Like in my mind, how I see it, because I'm pretty big on sleep myself, I almost see it as like sleep is like the foundation and then there's like training and nutrition underneath it. But, you know, all three are pretty important really. There, There is actually a correlation between sleep and injury rates as well. So is that right? um, if, yeah, if, if someone's getting injured a lot, then take a look at their sleep. Because when you're sleeping is when your gro- growth hormone is produced, when it's, when it's released, and that's when your recovery and adaptation occurs. So if you've had a hard gym session, then that night is when your muscles are getting repaired and then they're actually adapting to get bigger, get stronger, whatever it is. So yeah. that's when it actually happens. The, um, the pituitary gland is a busy little thing at night time. <laughs> oh, sleep is so interesting. So – Brick training. Yes. Do you love it? I don't mind it. Can you do it for strength and conditioning as well as triathlon? Yeah. So in a week, there's seven days, there's 24 hours in a day. And a lot of athletes need to hit a number of sessions that exceeds the number of days there are in a week, right? So it's, I think it's a necessity and there are, many athletes do need to do double days or brick sessions. When I suggest this to clients, I usually suggest that you can double up a day if it's like an easier session. So if you're doing um, an, a recovery run or a recovery swim and then you've got a gym session that day, then you can either do that back to back or in the morning and in the evening of one day, depending on the person, their goals, if they're new to lifting, I would probably suggest do the lifting like second in the day because 
then they might be a little bit sore afterwards because they're new um, and then that won't affect their other session. But it could be the other way around for someone if they've been lifting a lot in the gym, they can do the gym session first in the day and then the recovery run or swim later in the day. You just want to avoid doing intense full-on sessions and doubling that up because then that's going to leave you completely wrecked and then um, ruin probably the next couple of days of training for you. Yeah, I used to spend years going, oh, I won't do that because tomorrow I've got this. And so rather Mm. than I won't do that gym session tonight because tomorrow we've got to run in the morning. And and the amount of training sessions I would have missed because I'm basically just inherently, you know, lazy. I doubt that, but yeah. I do do think those – I do think having those those sort of multiple sessions in a day is well worthwhile if once you got once you're able to manage the load. Yeah, and I guess it's horses for courses, isn't it? Whether or not you're doing strength in the morning and also people's <laughs> daily routine, you know, what their yep. routines look like. Because that I mean, it must be a little bit like that for you in the in the work that you do. You know, you almost become like a little bit of a life coach because you've got to be able to slot these training sessions in around people's busy lifestyles and their work and then still have them optimized enough that they that they achieve something out of it yeah i mean part of coaching is like communication and is helping someone psychologically to achieve the goals that they want to but luckily i find personally in this field endurance athletes come to me and they're already quite motivated because that's the nature of you know runners and triathletes they, they only do it because they're already a bit of a high achiever in their life. Like no one's getting up at 5am to go to squad sessions if they're not that type of person, but it's actually probably the strength training side that people need more motivating for because endurance athletes, they love their, their endurance training and it's actually getting in the gym that they don't enjoy as much. So giving them tips on how to overcome, you know, the intimidation of going onto the gym floor or that lifting heavy weights isn't bad for you and it's not going to make you that big and all of those things is probably the biggest uh, the biggest psychological barrier that I face as a strength and conditioning coach for endurance athletes. All right, let's bust some common myths then. You ready? Yeah, right. Hit at me. Okay, the fastest way to lose weight is long, slow distance. Oh, I would totally disagree because you get disproportionately hungry after those sessions and then you just want to eat like three pizzas. Yes. So Three? I mean, lightweight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like I, yeah, no, totally disagree. But I mean, it depends. If if you're doing F45 six-week challenge, then maybe, yes, but that's discounting what's going to happen after those six weeks. But if you want to actually lose weight properly, then probably not. You'd better off doing um, strength training to actually internally increase your metabolism through muscle mass. Right. So lift heavy shit and high intensity interval training every maybe three or four days as well. Yeah. That's what I reckon I'd say too. so. All right. Next. Yeah. That sounds like a good recipe. Next, next one. This is for chicks listening and triathlete guys as well, triathlete guys and girls and CrossFit women. If I go to the gym, I'm going to get muscly and bulky and look, and look terrible and I'm going to be slow. <laughs> And I'll be slow if I go to the gym. (laughs) Yeah, no, not true. So research actually shows that there has been no negative effects to endurance performance from a 16-week strength training program. There is only maybe 3 to 6% of muscle hypertrophy from strength training. 
but you can plan your training program to actually bias less muscle hypertrophy. So um, if you actually do heavier weights for less reps, you're more likely to build relative strength, which is strength without building too much muscle mass than doing the commonly perceived like, you know, training style of, yeah, 12, eight to 12 reps of a lighter weight. So you're actually better off going with a heavier weight for lighter reps. And that's what I would prescribe for my strength um, and conditioning clients for endurance um, training. Yeah. A heavier weight for one to five reps, you actually build strength. You build strength to your muscles, to your tendons, you build your bone density. Massively overlooked, right? The tendon strength is massively overlooked. People don't understand. Oh, totally. Like when I did a, I did an eight week five by five training program. So every every single session was five by five. So that's that was squats. Killer. Yeah, squats. I was basically doing squats, bench, overhead squats. What else were we doing? Deadlifts, and all of them were you build up to just before one rep max and then go back to mm-hmm. 80% and then five by fives at 80 to 80 to 85%. And it was brutal. And um, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And my strength went through the roof and I didn't get any bigger. And, and I knew, yeah. and my, and my grip strength was the thing that was blowing me away. Like I could walk up to a bar and so things like my um, Olympic lifts. So things like my front squats and cleans and snatches and things like that all got better because of that, the ability to hold the bar to be stronger to hold yeah. the bar. But I didn't look any I didn't look any stronger. But I was yeah, a lot exactly. stronger. Yeah. Real life case study right there. Well I do and, a that, lot and of that's that, yeah. And that's that would have been with lifting pretty heavy weights for you know five five reps, so you can bias your training to avoid putting on too much muscle mass yeah. for sure. Yeah. Whereas what yeah. I'm doing now, and I'll, I'll send you a photo of my board board set up in my gym. So what I do now is I work up. To, I still do five by five, but I work up to my one rep max, and then I go back to seventy five to eighty percent, and I do max reps with the 75 to 80%, mm-hmm. which might be, so So yesterday with bench press was, you know, I worked up to 110 kilo, then went back to 80 kilo and then did 20 reps at 60 kilo. And then I did five by five after that at 80 kilo. Now my old five by five weight was a hundred kilograms. But if you put those two programs next to each other on the one on the right, say it was, you know, 2,500 kilograms moved in the hour. And the one on the left, it, it's now 3,800 kilograms. Like that's a huge difference, you know, and yeah, massive. Yeah, and 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 one of them's five by five. That's going to make you really strong. The other one mm. is all this lightweight being shifted over time, which then will equate to bulking up, you know, putting muscle on. Yeah, even though it's yeah. not a true hypertrophy workout. Yeah, totally. And like it's going off on a slight tangent, another case for lifting a bit heavier with less reps is it's actually less taxing and less fatiguing for the nervous system. So like we were saying, as an endurance right? athlete, you want to be saving your energy for your running, your cycling, your swimming. So if you're lifting like hundreds of reps in the gym, you're going to fatigue yourself like neurally as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want that. Although, although I've done recently have done a um, deadlift a deadlift workout where when I finished the max, we had to do max reps at a certain weight. I think it was 80% of our one rep max. Yeah. And, and, I, and I did 14 reps at 160 kilo or something like that. And um, yeah. at the end of it, I felt like I had just done like a metabolic conditioning <laughs> workout, not a strength yeah. workout. I was absolutely done. Yeah. Well, 
the difference with that is, is what's your one rep max? Like, is it a big number relative to your body weight? Cause you've done a lot of lifting in your time. It's yeah. So it's my one rep max was 200 kilo. I'm 80 kilograms, but it's probably about 180 kilograms now. It's not, it's 20 kilos less than it was a few years ago, but that's cause I'm not yeah. training at it specifically, but I think, yeah. And you're right. It's, yeah, and then there's got there's a guy on my gym is actually the coach who will do a hundred who will do my one rep max four reps, you know, and he's <laughs> twenty kilo lighter than me, you know. So you, yeah. you're right; it is very specific to the individual. But yeah, that was a huge taxing effort, and it would have been huge on the nervous system as well. Because because yeah, I mean, if if I had to cut away every single exercise and was not allowed to do anything else for the rest of my life, I'd just deadlift. If that was the only thing I was allowed to do. <laughs> a lot do. of people would say that. Yeah. I've got a few diehard deadlift um, coaching colleagues for sure. Yeah. I mean, I like – and I have saw there was a guy who did – and you, you could do something cool like this as well. I mean, this was a social media boom in the States about five years ago. It was a guy who who'd squat every day. He did squats every oh. day. Do you remember that? Uh, was that for like a year? Because I yeah. think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, and – I mean, he was a genius when he came up with the idea because it, because it got him huge amounts of credit and social media. Yeah, because a squat, <laughs> a squat isn't just a squat. A squat is a lunge. A squat is you know an overhead squat. A squat is a front squat. Mm-hmm. A squat is a back squat. So he just did variations of these and variations of he did variations of the reps and weight. And so sometimes it would be hypotrophy. Other times it would be you know one rep maxes. Other times it would be. I remember he. Well, he'd do jump squats. Box jumps was a, is a type of squat. Like he 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 was very smart in the way he said it. It's squat every yeah. day, but actually it was all these different variations of squats. And um, he did a mile overhead lunge, which, um, oh. yeah, so I tried to do that out, out the back of where I was working. We had a long gravel track and um, had a plate overhead trying to do a mile worth of lunges. And I reckon I got about 140 metres and realised how <laughs> legit this guy was. You're like, this guy's legit. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah and that's a classic case of his workload would be it would be mass like his workload capacity would be massive. So it's it's kind of like a don't try this at home if you know you're not yeah. you're not ready for that. Yeah, it's like yeah. the thousand burpee challenge every day for a week. It's impossible. It's not impossible. Is that a thing? It is now. Don't tell me that's a thing. Okay. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. So uh, another myth: Do you have to go to failure to get? benefit out of the reps we've covered this you don't right failure is yeah or is it depends specific? what your goal is actually okay. so what is your goal mm. strength yeah yeah no nah, not necessarily no right. for a for muscle hypertrophy so you know for people who actually want to build muscle then yes but for strength not so much and you're better off actually going you know progressive and, is, and conservative yeah and tran what is what is failure? Like is it someone has to spot that last rep or is it if I do it by myself in the gym and I'm doing dumbbell presses, you know, incline dumbbell presses say, and I just get to the point where I'm now not going to finish that rep so I, so I lower it down onto my lap and stand up. Is that that's failure or is it or is failure that person has to spot that last rep that wouldn't have counted otherwise? Ooh, technicality. Uh- Cool. Yeah. Tough question. You, you've thrown it. It could be, yeah, it could be either pretty much like getting close to not being able to do anymore. Cause, cause when you've reached that point, then you've, you've reached like, you know, that, that level of like muscle tension and metabolic stress that you just can't go anymore. So that's where you are more likely to get muscle hypertrophy. And then for strength, it's more about changes over the weeks and allowing your, your muscles to adapt. So no, you don't need to go to failure for strength. So if you're doing and once again, 
Sorry, go. I was going to say, and once again, if you're an endurance athlete, imagine if you're going to failure every gym session, you'd have nothing left for your other sessions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I wonder if if you do something like a five by five bench press for a triathlete, it might be, you know, say they're doing eighty kilograms five by five, which is a fairly decent weight for for a triathlete. I would assume at the top level, depending yep. on who and naturally how strong they are naturally. And if you then worked back so they now had the bar plus five kilo plates, so 30 kilograms, and said to them, just go to failure with that. I mean, that's a light way to go to failure. It's a light weight to go to failure with. They might take them 15 reps and they might do that three times and that would build some usable muscle in a session. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's different types of failure. Like you can do five by five and reach failure or you can even do – have you heard of body pump before? It's like a gym class where you might do like 100 reps of um, each exercise and you might only be having like maybe five or ten kilos on the bar, but after 100 reps you're still reaching failure, but you're reaching failure through a different – form a f- different stimulus. So you're, you're reaching failure through more endurance style training because you're doing a light rep for high reps and then you, you reach failure then, but then, so you're still reaching failure, but the outcome is a little bit different between the two stimuli because you're, you're using different weights and different rep yeah. schemes. Yeah. Watching these Tour de France cyclists at the moment going up these hills. And I wonder, you know, I wonder how, how much squatting would even help them with when they're now, you know, basically doing, long reps of circular motion pushing up a hill for, for kilometre after kilometre after kilometre, where, whereas, you know, a five-by-five five squat is probably not going to achieve anything or does it? I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of like going back to that specificity principle. For them, it's more important for those cyclists to actually be doing the hours on the bike. So that that like in a pyramid, that would be like the bottom base, and then there will be like nutrition, good recovery, and then the um and then the strength training might be more at the top. Um, for that yeah, for that volume of cycling, it, it'd be more actually yeah, obviously, and more hours on the bike. But yeah, it, it would help with. Um, increasing like the tendon strength and the lig- the connective tissue. Mm. So doing a heavy weight for low reps will achieve tendon strength. And that's something that doing a light weight for high reps to failure will not. So that's an example of the two different types of outcomes that you would get from two different types of training regimes. So yeah, like your muscles might be really strong to do, you know, days and weeks of cycling, but if your tendons can't keep up, then that's also going to be, you know, a recipe for potential injuries. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is about, and we won't, we won't go much longer. I won't drag it out too long for you, but have you heard of like things like breakout sessions or a key training session that you hit that gets you over a plateau or, or things like that? Yeah, not, not so much. My approach to training is, yeah, that like progressive training consistency over time. So for me, it's probably less important for those types of, yeah, challenges or any type of one session that would, would achieve that. Yeah. Okay. What races have you got coming up? So in Melbourne, we've got Run Melbourne coming up in a week and a half now. So that's, I think, the, the longest distance is half marathon, so I'm doing the half marathon then. And then that's it um, on the calendar for now. We'll see towards the summer what other triathlon events there are, and there will definitely be a few that I'll be doing, probably the Olympic distances. But, yeah, looking forward to, to that. But, yeah, nothing actually booked in yet. Throw, throw it out there. What time do you hope to do for the half? 
Oh, it's, I'm going to be aiming for like, like two hours, 15. So not like super duper fast, but yeah. But non, but injury free and have a good time on the way through. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually uh, a bit of a case study myself. I've never actually gotten injured in my entire time um, of training and competing. So it's been pretty good so far. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same thing. I had 20 years in the army. I didn't have one injury. I've left there with no injuries and maintained it. And I think that's due to the fact that A, I'm lazy. B, I take a slow approach to training, generally speaking. I also do a lot of high intensity stuff that is gentler than it seems. And also sleep, I think, is a big is like you said, I love sleep. So I think there's something to that with not being injured. Yep. I found a really interesting thing when I was when I was living in Dubai was um training in the heat and that heat adaptation and especially and I mean we're talking forty five degrees, forty degrees, forty five degrees, days days that in Adelaide where I grew up, you wouldn't go outside, let alone running. Mm-hmm. And I was doing, you know, Faso or Yaso. 800s and you know like 10 lots of 800s and then with two minutes rest in between and things like that like throwing up from heat you know almost heat illness but not but that heat adaptation has an amazing effect and I've, I've heard that it's quite similar to training at altitude training in the heat and it's to do with more mitochondria building more red blood cells and the like yeah um, something interesting in that you're probably not going to achieve living in melbourne <laughs> no, I think I think last year at the Melbourne Marathon it was twenty to twenty five degrees and that was killer. Like everyone was struggling. So yeah, in Melbourne um, we we because a lot of the running events are through winter as well. When our winter like you know ten degrees during the day kind of thing, so we get really used to training in that climate. Yeah, um, and don't actually yet get those adaptations to to compete in the heat. So. And especially as triathlons is in the summer. So I really struggle with that. Last year we had one of the triathlons on, I think it was like a 30 something degree day and I just wasn't used to it. Really, really struggled with the run. And then a few weeks later did the same triathlon in overcast, you know, sub 20 degrees and then crushed it. Yeah. So that's another component of your training as well. Yeah. Yeah. The heart rate variability in heat. Yeah, it moves away. It, it definitely there's a point where it parts away from your effort and your ability and you, your heart rate increases due to the impacts of heat. But yeah, yeah I thought totally. that was I thought that was really interesting. You know, a, a really interesting thing is is how much fitter and how fast I could get in the heat and the advantages that that gives. And the other thing that I used a lot that you might be interested in and that I'm playing around with now because we've got a freezing cold pool out the back, and I mean like in the single digits, the, the water temperature. And just that, just going into that real cold water after a 10K run seems to really speed up the recovery. Uh, and obviously mm. it's got to do with blood flow and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and, yeah, but it's agony, like getting in there and trying to stay in there and then getting out is absolute agony. I'm pretty sure ice bars are officially that temperature, like just under 10 degrees. So you could you could use that as an ice bath and charge people to use your pool. Yeah. I, well, people charge, people pay like top dollar for those type of recovery methods because there's not many of them around. Might have to find out how what the temperature is. But yeah, <laughs> I've been using it recently and it's mental resilience, like to get into the thing to start with is difficult. Yeah. Like from a resilience standpoint, but- the recovery is definitely sped up a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, I'm, and I've been keeping notes on it. So, yeah, it's been interesting. So, Athletes Garage on iTunes? Yes, Apple Podcasts. Is that the same as iTunes? Yep. I think it is, isn't it? Cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, the same thing. So Apple Podcasts and Spotify are probably the two main platforms that people listen to it, okay. can listen to it on. Cool. And yep. Motion Mechanic, where can people find you, Tran? So the easiest is probably to email me straight. So trang at themotionmechanic.com. But I've also got the website, www.themotionmechanic.com. But I'm probably most active on Instagram. So that's, once again, just the motion mechanic. Yeah. And there's lots of cool photos of you running on there on Instagram. <laughs> a few. I'm not like, I don't post every single training session. So it's maybe like sprinkled in the, uh, the account, <laughs> photos of me running. <laughs> awesome. Trang, thanks very much for today for coming on the Warrior You podcast and, and talking about strength conditioning and, and triathlon. I told you I'd nerd out about triathlon stuff. <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's been great to talk about these things because that's pretty much what I just love to do. Yeah. And in the future, I want to get a whole heap of us together somewhere in a room and get a big audience. And so I'll keep you in mind for that. And we'll, we'll go in there and talk about everyone's human optimization sort of questions. Oh, that'd be epic. Mm. Sounds good. Fulio. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Righto. Let me just wrap a few things up. Before I go, I just want to let you know that I'm teamed up with Patreon. This is so that you can donate assistance to the podcast. Obviously, putting all this together each week does come at a financial and a time cost. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head to www.patreon.com forward slash warrior you and you can throw in whatever you feel like. It's greatly appreciated. And there are some cool giveaways on the site too for different tiers of sponsorship. So please check it out. Um, thanks to my newest patron, Patreon donator, Marcus, for the $5 a month. Cheers, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just amazed that anyone's actually listening to the podcast at the end here to even go to Patreon. But obviously you did, so cheers, man. Um, right, and finally, just to end the show, this week the podcasts I've personally listened to have been as follows. I've listened to the Rich Roll podcast. It was a really great one with his dad. It was, um, was worth listening to. The Jocko Willick podcast, of course, and I listened to How I Work by Mantha Imber. Righto, thanks everyone. And remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait. There's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.